0: Well, hey, New Hope Eugene, so great to be with you today. And as you can tell, that clip is a a great classic clip that's been adapted just a little bit, but still an incredible reminder of a very important truth. Uh, In fact, that truth is probably what has allowed that movie to stand the test of time. It's this irony of what it looks like for someone to dance in the rain. That doesn't make sense for us. Uh, Who would do that? Why would they do that? It begs that question. I'm reminded of when I was in Bible college and uh, my wife, Paul, and I, we were engaged at the time. And so we were just loving being engaged, a young couple, you know, ideals, all that stuff, just looking at the world, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. And so uh, we would walk around campus and we would hold hands, you know, and just be happy to be together and in that place. And there was this older gentleman that was a, a part of the college at that time. And every time he saw us, he would come up to us and say, hey, folks, don't you know what's going on in the world? <laughs> it was a sweet way of saying that, that you folks managed to find joy in one another despite the real presence of pain and suffering around you. And I say that because I think at times that's perhaps a critique of Christ's followers, that, that we have this kind of Pollyanna outlook on the world. It's like, sure, everything in the world is blowing up, but let's, let's just hug, shall we? And, and let's not think about the bad stuff. Let's just think about unicorns and rainbows and, and fluffy things. And, and, and that is not an accurate reflection of how Christ calls us to encounter this world. We are not called to ignore the pain of this life. We are called to rise above it, to learn what it looks like to dance in the rain. And dancing in the rain does not always make sense to those around us, yet part of what God wants to bring to our lives and to the lives of those who love him is not just an unconditional love, but he also wants to bring an unconditional hope. Even in the pain, even in the uncertainty, even in the suffering that all of us find ourselves in during these extraordinary days, that we could be a wellspring of hope amidst a torrent of fear. And so, the question we wrestle with today, as we continue in our series that we've called Our Living Hope, is a question that mankind has wrestled with from the beginning of our existence. It is the question of suffering. And as we look at some of the truths around suffering from the book of First Peter, we can perhaps take some, some new steps in hope as each of us learns what it is to dance in the rain. And the first thing I point out is this. We must understand our why in suffering. Let's look at First Peter 4, verse 12. In fact, right where you are, let's read this out loud. Big voices. Go, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's saying don't act surprised when you encounter trials, when you encounter pain and discomfort, what it describes here as a fiery ordeal. Now, this is not referring just to sort of mild suffering just as sort of an inconvenience it's it's like uh, the other day we went to a favorite restaurant and i went to order the thing that i always order and they said i'm, I'm sorry we don't have that i said oh you're, you're out of that today they said no no we don't make that anymore the management decided we just don't do that dish anymore i was like i was shocked i couldn't believe it it was my favorite thing that was why i went to that restaurant that was my thing and so i had to if you can imagine I had to order something else. What a bummer. That I would describe as mild suffering. But here... This fiery ordeal type of suffering uh, is something a little different. And what that would look like in that same restaurant is that that I could go to that restaurant and try to order something, and then they would say, well, actually, we don't have that. In fact, we only have one dish left, and we're going to have everyone in this restaurant battle to the death so they can have that one dish. That is the fiery ordeal kind of suffering. Remember, this letter was written in an era of persecution where Christians were forced into the gladiator ring. So as crazy as what I just said sounds, it is fairly close to where these Christ followers were living. And Peter writes to these folks who are experiencing that level of persecution, and he says, why are you shocked? Uh, As if this is weird, as if this is out of line, he says, this is life. And yet for us, we experience suffering in our culture and and, and it messes with us because we want to make sure that all suffering is removed on every level. We heat our seats in our cars. We make sure we have air conditioners in our homes. We expect that the internet is working perfectly wherever we are on this planet and we want pizzas to be delivered in 30 minutes or we get our money back. We don't experience suffering we eliminate it. It's like this last weekend. Uh, we uh, Our kids, Ethan and Riley, they were gone on a trip, so we watched Mavis, the grand dog, the little golden retriever girl puppy, and she was with our dog, Swagger, for the, the whole weekend. And it was a lot of work watching... Two dogs. I mean, I I was just doing the math. I was figuring two dogs would equal twice as much poop. I thought that's how it worked. But actually, when it's two dogs, it equals four times as much poop. I don't know how that works. I don't know if they're trying to outdo one another. But it was a lot more work when it came to that. And then it was a a lot of work just making sure everything was good. Because Mavis constantly just wants to wrestle with Swagger. All the time, just wants to wrestle. And most of the time, he's good with it. But sometimes, he'll get a little frustrated. So it seems like he'd be getting angry and want to make sure everybody's good and then swagger sometimes would wake up and he would think it's time to go to work which would mean he's a breeding dog and we don't want that to happen with Mavis so my entire weekend was spent making sure nobody got hurt and nobody got pregnant which was fun because it reminded me of being a youth pastor so it was just great but it was a lot of work a lot of work in doing this a lot of work in trying to keep the bad stuff from happening This is what we do. This is what we do, especially when we find ourselves in this season where where we are not fully in control anymore. And we don't like being forced to to wear masks and to be distant. And we don't like gathering restrictions. And we don't like schools being only online. And now there's no sports at the University of Oregon for the fall. All that stuff. And we're saying, what's going on? This is crazy. Why is this happening? And Peter is saying, why are you surprised? You really thought that life wouldn't have any suffering? It's guaranteed. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. Suffering is simply a part of our existence on earth. Why is that? Well, here's three primary reasons for why we suffer. Here's the first, it's a fallen world. The second is a real enemy. And the third is a broken me. A fallen world, a real enemy, a broken me. Let's talk about a fallen world. A fallen world meaning that sin has corrupted the world from the beginning. In the garden with Adam and Eve. And so what seeps up into our lives is filled with pain. You name it, greed, racism, abuse, hatred. It just seems to bubble up from the ground around us. We didn't put it there, we didn't make it happen, but we have to live with it. It's like in my backyard, um, just across the fence in our backyard, in our neighbor's yard, is a big tree. And it grows up and it grows over my back fence, over our back patio. It's not my tree, it's their tree. But that tree is a mess. It's constantly dropping leaves and branches. It even has these berries that I'm told might not be very good for dogs. Those are dropped on my patio all the time. And so every week I go out there and I mow and I sweep and I use the blower to get rid of all this stuff. That is not my problem. It's not my tree. It's a mess. It's something I have no control over. It's just part of my world. That's one of the whys of suffering, it's just a fallen world. I didn't put it there, but I have to deal with it. The second why is the fact that we have a real enemy. In fact, Peter talks about this in the next chapter. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, remember, the enemy is not omnipresent like God is. He can't be everywhere, but he is real. So he's not going to be all over the place, he's not going to be everywhere at once, but he definitely is somewhere, and his minions, his army of dark spiritual forces are also out there. So I wouldn't say the devil is behind every bush, but he's behind some of them. And keep in mind, the enemy is constantly still working against God's people, relentlessly. And the enemy wants us to suffer. So there's another why of suffering. And then of course, the last why of suffering I'd mention is us, (laughs) a broken me. That I suffer consequences because of my own choices, because of my own consequences, because of my own sin. Jesus said it's sin that comes out of our own hearts. And it's interesting that of these three sources of the why of suffering, This is actually the only one that I have any control over. The world will always be broken. The enemy will always hate humanity. But me, in Christ, I have the ability to experience a change in me. You know, uh, in our backyard when we first bought our house, there's this fountain in the backyard. I've mentioned it before. And when we first turned on the fountain, uh, it had been sitting for years. And so it was filled with water and uh, and dirt and leaves and who knows what died in there. And so when we first turned on that fountain and it bubbled up, that bubbling up was not a very majestic experience. It was brown and it stunk. (laughs) Not very inviting, you know, come sit next to the poo fountain, it would be so great. See how the light glistens off the brown water, so great. No, so what we did is we used the shop vac, I, I, I sucked out all the old water, re- replaced, replaced it with fresh water, and, and now what bubbles up from it is clean and inviting and odor-free. We addressed the source, and when it comes to the why of suffering, this is what we must also do, address the source in my own heart. The world is broken, yes. The enemy is prowling. But actually in Christ, my heart can change. The question is, will I let him? Will I let him change my heart? These are the big whys of suffering, but there is one of those whys that can dramatically change. That's me. Let Jesus do that today. We must understand then first the why of our suffering. Here's the second thing. We must understand the who in suffering. Let's look to the scripture, 1 Peter 4, 13 to 14. Let's read it. Big voices, go. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This is all about who we suffer with. And this passage is saying that when we suffer, we have the potential to actually suffer with Christ, to experience some of what he experienced, to understand some of Christ's pain. And this is going to do two two things for us. First... Is this, when we suffer with Christ, we have the potential to see a greater part of Christ's love. Here's what I mean. Uh, my wife is a crocheter. Uh, throughout the years, she's made me lots of different things great things, hats and, and scarves. She's never made underwear, I'm grateful for that. But she's made lots of, of terrific things, and she's made lots of wonderful things for other people. She's made blankets and toys and, and beautiful things. She is a, a great crocheter. I've seen her do this. I've experienced the results of that gift. Uh, and I always thought it was just a really nice thing that, that she did. But then one day she said, hey, you want to try crocheting? I said, sure, I'll give that a try. I mean, how hard could it be? It's a little, little hook, a little thread, a little yarn. It'll, it'll be fine, I'll do it. She started to teach me how to do the, the most simple crochet thing, single crochet and just to make a chain. And I got about eight lengths on my chain, and I wanted to take that crochet hook and impale it into my own heart. I I, I hated it. I hated doing that. It it was awful. the, The details and the repetition and the monotony and the exactness, everything that I'm not was wrapped up in that. I couldn't do it. For me, it was absolute suffering. But, but, But see, when I experienced how hard that was, it actually made me understand how much greater her love was for me in doing it. That she would do that for me. And I went, wow, that's incredible. This is the awareness that suffering can bring between us and Christ. That when we go through relational pain and being treated unfairly and when we're wrongly accused, when life doesn't seem fair, we have this tiny glimpse into what Jesus endured for us. That when we suffer with Christ, we have the potential to see a greater part of Christ's love. And the second thing I'd point out is this. When we suffer with Christ, we have the potential to see a greater part of Christ's glory. See, if we share in the sufferings of Christ, we also then share In the glory of Christ, that God will always balance the scales, that as we walk with Christ and we experience pain and we experience heartbreak and hurt and disappointment, that we can know that one day our sorrow will turn to joy, because that's what happened with Jesus. All he went through, all of the torment physically and emotionally and spiritually, it all turned around on that third day. And the disciples went, oh, I get it now. And there was joy. One day the same will be true for us. And and with the sufferings that we have experienced in Christ, those things will be traded for delight. And even now, it's like God gives us these little glimpses of that. You know, when I was up in Alaska, um, my buddy Dana, he lives at the parsonage of the church that overlooks this beautiful bay there in Haynes, Alaska. And so just about every day he'll 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 put a crab pot out in, in this harbor. And uh, he said, do you want to go do that, Aaron? I said, yeah, great. So I got in the boat and I, I was taking this crab pot out to the seawall that, that protects this harbor. But what was unique about that day is there was a big barge that was parked in the harbor, they aren't usually there, but there was this giant barge in the harbor. And so I'm going out pretty close to that barge to put this crab pot out. And I'm kind of looking for the right place to go. And in the midst of that, the guy on the barge starts waving his arms at me. And he's going, you got to get out of here. The barge is leaving. It's going to wipe you out. You got to go. And so he's panicking. So I panic. So I just take the crap out and I just throw it all out with all the rope and stuff on top of it. Usually you kind of make sure the rope extends down, but I just threw the whole pile out. And as I'm looking then for the buoy to come up, I realize that the rope had been tangled and the the pot has just sunk and I have no idea where it is. It's just gone. It's just lost. And so I go back to Dana and I say, hey, good news. The crab pot's out. Uh, Bad news is, it's gone. It's all tangled up and I can't see where it is. I think I've lost it. He went out and looked for it. He couldn't find it. I'm thinking, now i got to buy a new crab pot. I was kind of bummed, but he said, well, maybe tomorrow the tide will be lower. Uh, we can go check it out then. So the next morning comes, I get up, I get in the boat, and I'm going towards that area. And I see on the seawall, There's this bald eagle (laughs) right there on the seawall. And it looks like he's basically in the area that I, I figured I must have put the crap out somewhere in that area. And so I'm thinking, well, God, you put the eagle there, I'll just go to the eagle. And so I go straight to the eagle. I'm right under the eagle. I look down. And there's the crab pot. (laughs) I'm able to get get to the rope uh, with another rope. I pull up the crab pot. It's filled with crabs. We ate the crabs. It was a beautiful thing. It was a a time of rejoicing, just a, a really fun little story. But I tell you that story because what looked at the beginning to be a story of loss became the prologue of a story of grace. And God is always wanting to do that with the suffering of our lives. Remember we notice his light way more in the darkness and Jesus is always and still the light of the world. This is the who of our suffering and this is so important in this time, especially as we feel these pressures and limitations and frustrations and disagreements that we would refuse to face those things alone that we must allow suffering to bring us to Jesus so that Jesus can then bring us to glory. And I think it's very tempting in these days to feel like we're fighting on our own, like we're fighting against governments and against political opponents and against people that don't think like us, like we're fighting flesh and blood. We are not. We are still fighting against the spiritual forces of the evil one. That is where this battle is. And we have to remember that because if we do not fight for people against the enemy, we will end up fighting against people for the enemy. It's time that we overcome evil with good, that we do not get duped into playing by the enemy's rules. These battles will only be won when we run in desperation to Jesus. It's time. It's time that we do that. Because until we get the heart of Christ, we can never be the hands of Christ. And guess what? In that, we will actually experience some suffering. But here's the good news. Shared suffering in Christ ultimately produces shared glory with Christ. We must run to the who in our suffering. It's Jesus. Here's the last thing. We must understand our how in suffering. Let's finish the passage, 1 Peter four fifteen. Read it big voices, go. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So, if suffering is a given, and if suffering can actually bring me closer to Jesus, how do we suffer the right way? Here's how. We make sure we suffer the right way by making sure we suffer for the right reasons. That we suffer... For the things that Jesus suffered for. Now, question, what did Jesus suffer for? Well, he called out Pharisees who considered themselves so holy, and yet in every way they were acting against the very people that he would give his life for. He saw folks that were building barriers, not bridges, and that the only love they carried was a love for themselves. It was a love for their culture and for their rights and for their traditions and for their religion and for their way of life. That is who Jesus came against. And this is why he suffered. Which should tell us then that those are the right reasons to suffer. But often we suffer for the wrong reasons. Peter gives some examples. Don't suffer because you're a murderer or a thief. Don't suffer because of your hatred or your greed. Don't even suffer because you're a meddler. He's saying, don't suffer because I despise someone else or I want to keep more stuff for me or I want to be in control. If that's what we find ourselves standing for when we suffer, we're standing for the wrong things. We're suffering wrong. Why? Because in that, I'm suffering to get something for myself where Christ something to give something to another. I'll say that one more time. I'm suffering in that scenario. In that scenario, I'm suffering to get something for myself where Christ suffered to give something to another. We have to get very honest and look at our hearts about what our suffering really looks like. And if it doesn't look like Christ in its motive, in its method, then it's not right suffering. And we can tell by the fruit. The fruit of wrong suffering is just more suffering. It's more murder and more theft and more control. Things are taken, lives are lost, people are pushed farther from God. But when we suffer rightly, when we suffer with Christ, something is given. And you know what it is? It's hope. That I'm doing this for you, not against you. And in my suffering, then, I can give you hope in Christ. Hope that there is more to this life. Hope that mourning will turn into dancing. Hope that will not ever fail. Righteous suffering produces hope. And it's this hope in Christ that must infuse everything we do. This is what should come out of us, but but our world wants to lock us into this kind of binary way of existing. That if I disagree with you on this one thing, then we are now enemies in everything. It's like there's no nuance left in our language anymore. I was thinking, you know, I was driving the other day, and I was thinking maybe you've had this thought. I wish I had a different horn in in my car, an additional horn in my car than just the the really loud life and death horn. You know, you got the life and death horn, you know, and that's important for those circumstances. But there's a lot of circumstances. You don't need the life and death horn. You know, you're behind someone and the light's green and they're not going. They're distracted. They might be texting or something. And, and I just want to kind of have a horn that says, hey, <laughs> no worries, but the light's green. Might be time to move along. Let's, let's wrap things up. You know, a little bell, something light, something soft. You know, it's all good. I'm, I'm totally not mad, but maybe it's time to, to move along now. But the only option I have is just honk. It's just, you're an idiot. I'm so mad. That's the only option. I I want another horn. That communicates different. And in our world, these seem to be the only options that our world is giving us for communication with one another. It's either silence or I hate you. But Jesus is saying that if we encounter suffering rightly with his heart, a heart that serves, a heart that gives, a heart that sacrifices for another person, that we can actually bring a new language to the world, the language of hope. Because we bear the name and the heart of Christ, we actually then bear the hope of Christ. We have to suffer the right way, which means we have to suffer For the right reasons, we must understand our how in suffering. I'll wrap up with this. I want to remind us of the the big idea for this series. And it's that in Jesus, we have a living hope that rewrites and redefines our identity by rewriting and redefining our past, present, and future. And what I'm drawn to as we conclude today As we're wrestling with the existence of suffering and and we're facing how we are to respond to it, it's this could we allow Jesus to redefine our suffering, both in our past and in our present, so that He could actually bring a hope to our future? Could we let Jesus teach us to dance in the rain? Like you, I I feel all of the strangeness of this season, the loss of what was before, the uncertainty of what lies ahead. But I want you to know I also feel a great sense of hope because it feels like God is stripping away a lot of the things that should never have been in his church to begin with. And he's leaving us to simply trust and be desperate for him to allow Jesus to be all that we have so we finally realize that Jesus is all that we need. God is doing something new in these days. As, and I think of how Jesus spoke of new wine, that, that it must be received by new wineskins. The question for us is, will I be that new wineskin? Or will I be so tied to defending the ways of my past that I'll crack when that new wine comes. Could we be willing to allow this new wine to mold us into its shape, to become a vessel that Jesus can continue to use? Suffering rightly can help with that. Knowing why we suffer and who we suffer for and how we suffer, ultimately suffering can and should drive us to Jesus. And as Isaiah 43 reminds us, Jesus makes paths through oceans and rivers in deserts. So wherever you find yourself suffering today, Jesus has a way ahead for you. Trust him. Trust him like you've never trusted him before. And I promise you, he'll teach you how to dance in the rain.